Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you that every week you call us to come together as a family, and even during the week, different times that we can come together. And Lord, knowing that you're always there, knowing that you want us to learn from each other, that you want us to share with one another, just how, how wonderful it is to be part of your family. So Lord, we invite in the Holy Spirit and we ask that you be here during our service today. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ambassadors under authority. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, 2 Corinthians 5.20. And before I read, I want to welcome all you beautiful new faces today. Wonderful to have you. What is an ambassador? He is a representative and a servant of his government in a foreign land. He is not free to act, to, uh, free to set his own policies. He's not free to develop his own message, but he must carry out the will of the government he represents. In other words, he is a person under authority. In the same way, we are called to live under authority of Jesus Christ and the authority of the scriptures, which means we need to be in the scriptures. We are servants. We must live under the authority of the word of God. We are called not to do our will, but Christ's. The world today is looking for holy men and women to live, who live under the authority of the word of God. Unbelievers will not listen to what we say unless we back it up with the way we live. Are you a faithful ambassador to Christ and to those around you? The hope for today. Have you ever neglected to witness to someone for fear you wouldn't know what to say? We can be confident in the message of Christ because it's God's message. It's nothing we have to conjure up. We just speak the gospel. Glory to your name, O oh Lord. 
from Psalm 1 this morning, the first of 150, the biggest book in the Bible, and to be the number one psalm has got to be important, don't you think? Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. If you would like to stand with me, we can recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God testified about his son. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the sons, God's son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of God, the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Take your bullets and we have a responsive reading. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your Son and bring, bring to nothing all he's done. Lord Jesus Christ, your powers make known. For you are Lord of lords alone. Defend your holy church that we sing your praises eternally. O comforter of priceless worth, and one mind to your flock on earth. Support us in our daily strife and lead us out of death to life. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, the gifts we bring today, we know actually belong to you. We know that all is with under your under your hand and we know that you created all so lord that you have entrusted us with some part of this that you have the faith in us as we need to have the faith in you that we what we give back we ask that you bless and that you you guide us to use it in the way that you see that is fit and the right way to worship you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to have some visitors here this morning. Welcome to Desert Gardens Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Um, let's. Uh, we're gonna. We're gonna dig into uh, the second chapter of the Book of Ruth. Um, and we'll just cover 13 verses today because the, the chapter's just too long, too much material to, to uh, that we, we can't do the whole thing. So let me read it. I don't think I have, I don't have a slide up there, um, so you're going to have to just listen to me. Um, it's up there? Well, that's okay. That's the first three verses. I'll read the whole thing, and then, and then we'll, we'll go back to that, Okay. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. As she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters, so she went up. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back with, from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean 
gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whoever, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've told... I've been told all, what you, all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the power and the beauty of your word. We thank you that your word brings life and your word is life. And we just pray in Jesus' name this morning that you will speak to each and every person here something that's said, something that's sung, something that we've read uh, that will touch their hearts. We're looking, Lord, to Put another brick in our, in our armor, Lord, in our wall, so that we can stand against the attacks of the enemy. And I pray that you'll speak to each and every one of, one of us, and I pray for the words to speak this morning that will bring life. We pray in Christ's name. For those of you who were not here last week, um, this is the story of Ruth and Naomi, and they lived, they, uh, Elimelech, who was Naomi's husband, um, and two sons left when there was a famine in the land of Israel. They lived in Bethlehem in Israel, and they left and went to Moab in order to, uh, because of the famine, in order to get food. Ten years went by, Elimelech died, and both the sons died, Mahlon and Kilion. So the three widows then uh, made their way, started back, toward Bethlehem because they'd heard that there was food in the land. And so they start on the way and then uh, Orpah decides to go back and Ruth and Naomi continue on and they arrive in Bethlehem. That's chapter one. So that's where we left it last week. So they just, uh, they just got there uh, into Bethlehem. It's harvest season. And let's read verses 1 through 3. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Now remember, uh, Naomi was married to Elimelech. And Ruth the Moabitess, that is her daughter-in-law, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So it's repeated there again. Now, Naomi was related to Boaz on, on her husband's side. So she's going back um, under then the, you know, under the uh, uh, kind of the clanship, the, the, the Hebrew word is... Uh, Betav, and she went back under the covering then of her family, her husband's family. And this man Boaz, uh, it says he's a man of standing. And the Hebrew for that is Gibor. And it means a strong, valiant man, a man of valor. Uh, one commentator said that we could, we could call it a knight, like a knight, you know, in, the, in, in Great Britain. Um, and that is a, a man of influence, um, powerful, has wealth and high reputation in Bethlehem. And if you remember from last week, we talked about how Bethlehem was only about 200, 250 people at that time. So a very small village, uh, but he had great standing. So we see the common, the, the contrast of Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. 
Um, Boaz had influence. They had no influence. Boaz had, Boaz had wealth. They had poverty. They were in absolute abject poverty. Boaz had land. They had no land. Boaz had status. They had status. They had no status. So they come into this land then um, as in, in abject poverty. They have absolutely nothing. And that's where the story picks up. Now, it looks to me, we don't know for sure, because we don't have some of the details, um, but it looks to me like, the, like uh, Naomi retained her house. When she left Bethlehem and went over to Moab, that she kept her house. Because in verse 23, it says, So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and harvest barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So we're just guessing that Naomi had her house. I mean, there, there probably wouldn't have been any inns there or anything like that anyway. So she retained her house. They went back to the house that, that uh, they had lived in. Well, that Naomi had lived in. But then, you know, uh, it's harvest season, and Ruth says to Naomi, I need to go out and glean. And she understood that they were desperate. And she was risking ostracism, possibly physical harm, by going out in the fields to glean. She would be labeled poor and helpless, and she could be molested out there or made fun of and so on. But she took the initiative to go out and do it anyway. And five times, the narrator refers to Ruth, the Moabitess. All right? So Ruth is a stranger. She, um, I mean, she is, she's, uh, she's a Moabitess, different gods, different culture, apparently the same language, because there's no language, you know, they're, 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 they're able to speak the same language. And probably the fields were not divided up, but everybody had a share in a common field. So it may be one big field, but they would have, they would know where their section is in that field. And so Ruth goes out to glean in, that, in a field. And she has no idea whose field it is, uh, but then later she finds out that it was Boaz's field. So first there was the barley harvest, and the barley harvest was about the time of the Passover. And then there would be, and that was March, April, some, somewhere in that, in that time frame, because remember this is a Jewish calendar, it's not our, uh, what is it, Gregorian calendar. It's a, it's a Jewish calendar, it's a lunar calendar, and so it, it, it was a little bit different than ours. But it was March, April, it was early, you know, early, uh, early spring, and then right after the barley harvest, the wheat harvest would start. They were both grain harvests, and that was about 50 days after the barley harvest, and that's what we call Shavuot or Pentecost. So here's the season. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's early, kind of early spring into early summer. And Ruth is taking advantage of, there were three laws in Israel for those who were poor. And three provisions that were written into the law of the land for those who, who were in this kind of state that Naomi and Ruth were in. And the first is the law of gleaning. And then we find this in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. So in other words, you're to leave some of the, you know, the, the very edges of the field, leave them for the poor. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes you have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24, 19 following. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. All right, so you're, you're going along, you're harvesting, and you kind of miss something behind you. Uh, leave it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Okay, so all those who are powerless in the, in the society, leave it for them that they can come along and glean so that the Lord may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olive trees, olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes, 
Okay, so first is the is the wheat, second is the olives, and the third, you know, an olive tree, and then the third is a vineyard for the grapes. Do not go over your vineyards again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fathers, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Okay, so, so I want you to see that, that what Ruth is doing is built into that society. They didn't have welfare. You know, they didn't have what we have. And what we have now, we, re, we rely on the state to provide. Um, you know, either the state government or the, or the city government or uh, increasingly now the federal government. We rely on them to kind of provide that safety net. But in that society, it was an agricultural uh, clan kind of society. They relied on the family, not the state. In fact, there was no state at that time. So second thing I want you to realize about this is that these were commands from God. All right, so when Boaz is allowing people to come in and glean, he is, he is just doing what the law required him to do. So the law of gleaning was not dependent on the whims of the landowners, but was a right given and owed to the poor, the widow and the alien, the fathers, i.e., those who are powerless in society, who had to rely on the generosity of others. They, could, they, they, they just didn't have anything. And God reminds them that they were slaves in Egypt. He says, the reason... You're going to have compassion because you yourself were once powerless. The next thing I want you to notice about this, and this is really interesting to me, is that the poor Israelites, the father of the widow and the aliens, were to take part in the gleanings. This wasn't just handing them money. You know, the idea wasn't just, well, you know, peel off, you know, some of your dollars and give them to, of course, they didn't have dollars. But peel off some of your money and give it to the poor. They had to work for it. They followed along the, and they had to actually glean this stuff and take and then and, and we see later Ruth uh, crushes the the wheat stalks so that the grain, you know, she has the grain, she has to put it in a sack, carry it home, and so on. It's not just giving something away, they had to work for it. So, the first way in which the poor would be provided for was the law of gleaning. The second is the law of levirate marriage. Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. So, the first is about property. This then is about a, a seed or a progeny to keep the name, your name going in Israel. Her husband's brothers shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So God made provision then both for the passing on of land so that a family could have land because land is power. Land is a means of production. But also, the other means of production is progeny, to have sons and daughters who can carry on the work. So God made provision for the second in the law of Leverett marriage. And so what we see in this particular case in, in the book of Ruth is that this has kind of been broadened a bit that it includes a near relative or a near kinsman. And... So in Ruth, then, the obligation was for the whole clan. So Boaz could redeem the land, but had to take on Ruth as well. And we'll see that uh, in chapter 3. We'll see more of that whole thing. The third, and I'm not going to dwell on these because we're going to talk a lot about these later on, but the third way that the poor were cared for was called the law of redemption or the kinsman redeemer. All right? And that's in the Hebrew, it's the goel. And... We find it in Leviticus chapter 25. If one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countrymen has sold. <clears throat> if, however, a man has no one to redeem it for him, but he himself prospers and acquires sufficient means to redeem it, he is to determine the value for the years since he sold it 
and refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it. He can then go back to his own property. But if he does not acquire the means to repay him, what he sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. It will be returned in the, law, in the Jubilee, and then he can go back to his property. Now, the idea is this, and, and this is, a, I think, a really wonderful thing. In Israel at that time, if the land, you remember in Joshua, distributed the land among the children of Israel, all the Israelites, according to the, to, to the different tribes, and that land was to stay in the possession of that family in perpetuity. Uh, they would always have a means of production in that they had land. And so if, as in this case, uh, Naomi became very poor, she could sell her land to a kinsman redeemer who would redeem it, but then it had to go back to her. Okay? So her family would always have that land. And that's what we see happening in the book of, of Ruth. So property stayed in the possession of the family to which it was given. It could be sold, but it could only be sold until the year of Jubilee. And every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, that property would go back to the family without anybody paying anything for it. It would go back to the family to which it originally was distributed. Furthermore, if someone were to sell themselves into slavery, they were to be released from their servitude in the year of Jubilee. So everything would go back to kind of, you know, kind of like rebooting your computer. You know, would all go back uh, to, to, you know, to the original owner of that land. There were other ways in which the poor were provided for. Any crops which grew during the Sabbath, sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee were set aside for the poor to gather. But they had to gather their own grain. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. Every third year, the tithes of that year's produce would be stored for the Levites and the poor and the alien, the fathers, and so on. So every three years, then there would be a stockpile of the wheat or whatever there is, and then the poor could, could take part of that. If a poor man lost all his security, his neighbor was to treat him with hospitality, as if he were a stranger or sojourner. He, the neighbor was not to take interest from the poor man, he wasn't, he, and he wasn't to sell him food at a profit. So you couldn't get rich off the poor. Oppress the poor. We see that happen a lot these days, don't we? You know, the poor, the powerless, just get oppressed by those that have the means of production. And if the poor man was indebted so he had to sell himself, he would automatically, if he were an Israelite, be freed at the end of seven years. So slavery in the, in the Old Testament then, and in the New Testament, is just uh, for seven years. And you could sell yourself, if you were really, really poor, you could sell yourself to someone else, but then at the end of the seven years, it would have to be returned. Now, that wasn't the case for foreigners. We're talking about Israelites. When he left then, the owner was to be very generous with him. If the bondservant wanted to stay with the family, he could have an all driven through his ear. Remember that whole thing? He'd have an all driven through his ear, ear and then he would say, I want to serve you for life. He could do it, but it was voluntary. It had to be voluntary. Furthermore, the poor man and women and, and animals and everybody had to rest on the Sabbath. So they, they wouldn't be worked seven days a week. Six days they worked, the Sabbath they rested. So what we're saying is this. God had lots of different provisions built into the society in Israel to help the poor. And then we see God's sovereignty in engineering the events for Naomi and Ruth. And I, there, there's a phrase here that I just love. It's, it said, as it turned out. As it turned out, Ruth was in the field of Boaz. Now, how many times has that happened with you? As it turned out. <laughs> yeah. This happened, and that happened, and this happened, and the other, the other thing happened. And how many times do we look back over our lives and we kind of connect the dots. Have you had done that? And you don't see it at the time, and you don't see this, and you don't see this event, and that event, and the other. 
But then down the road a, a bit, you look back and you say, oh, I see what God was doing. He was connecting the dots. They were just dots to me. I couldn't, I couldn't really make out what he was doing. But I get to the end and I realize, oh, that's what God was doing. I see a lot of shaking of heads. So I <laughs> because men do not control events, God does. For those whom God loves, for those whom God has called, God directs us as we reach out to him. And God directs our lives many times when we're not even aware of it. So in our own lives, uh, and I think I've got some slides on this. Uh, this is our Peace Corps group. And as it turned out, we got married and came out to Arizona. And, and as it turned out, I was walking on the U of A campus one day and ran into a Peace Corps recruiter and uh, just uh, really out of a whim, took a, one of the applications and brought it home to Caroline and said, how about going in the Peace Corps? <laughs> We'd never talked about that. We'd been married about, what, six months at that time, something like that, maybe a little more. And, uh, and to my surprise, and probably to her surprise as well, she said, yeah, let's, let's look at it. So we got a Peace Corps bid. And, we got, and the Peace Corps came, the bid came for the land of Turkey. When we got that bid, I didn't even, neither of us knew even where it was. <laughs> we, we, we had to get out a map and, you know, you couldn't just inter Google it at that point. You get out a map and we finally find out where Turkey was. And as it turned out, we met a guy who had lived, grown up in Turkey. And he kind of encouraged us that, you know, go that direction. Well, as it turned out, then years later, where I was in the pastorate at Saguaro Canyon right down the road here, and we were looking for an unreached people group. I was pastoring the church. Um, we've got two girls right here who were part of that church <laughs> way back then. And as it turned out, we were looking for an unreached people group. And as it turned out, um, Dave uh, called me one day and he said, "There's uh, the head of the Free Church Mission is doing a, a uh, tour of the Balkans and Turkey and Central Asia and you want to go? And I said, sure. So we went. I went. <laughs> Happened. <laughs> Interesting story. I'll just, uh, I, I got there and finally got to a phone. It had been about a week or so. Finally got to a phone. Finally got to talk to Caroline. <laughs> she shaking her head. <laughs> yeah. Finally got to talk to Caroline. And, and she spent the whole time telling me how the U of A won the it was 1997, <laughs> won the national championship. <laughs> oh, well. Well, as it turned out, the headquarters uh, for the International Turkey Network, who was focused on Turkey, um, was, was headquartered in Phoenix, and all the events took place in Phoenix and so on. And so just, you know, I saw all these dots God taking us to Turkey, the connection with the International Turkey Network, uh, just so many things coming together, all those dots, God connecting. And as I say, I'm sure that you've also gone through the same kind of thing in your own life. Well, let's go back to our text. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. Okay, so Nea, uh, okay. Um, so Ruth is out gleaning in the fields. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the har harvesters. She went into the field and was working and has worked steadily from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So Boaz arrives on the scene and he assumed that Ruth was one of the servant girls. Probably he had 
hired all the servant girls. You know, he's a wealthy landowner, so he probably had numerous servant girls. But he didn't recognize her. And so he asked the, the foreman, he said, who is that? I don't recognize her. And we don't know what caught his eye with Ruth. Uh, maybe because he'd never seen her, or, or maybe uh, it was so unusual in a small town like Bethlehem that he wouldn't know everybody. But he asked it anyway. Or maybe it was because of her beauty. Um, it's kind of interesting. In 1 Samuel 16:12, uh, and we'll get when we get into chapter four, we get the whole genealogy, and Boaz and Ruth were the were the grandfather and grandmother of David. And in 1 Samuel 16:12, it says of this, and he sent and had him brought in. That is David. Samuel had sent for him and had him brought in. He was ready with a fine appearance and handsome features. So the grandson is really good looking. I mean, you know, that's, that's what it's saying. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, he is the one. And so David becomes king of Israel, but he's a handsome guy. So maybe, uh, maybe and probably Ruth was also uh, very good looking. So Ruth asked the foreman if it would be all right to glean before she began gleaning in Boaz's field. She was not shy asking for what she was entitled. Remember, she was entitled by the law to that she could glean. And so we saw, and what, what's interesting in this is that Ruth is no slacker. I mean, she gets out there and she works from morning until evening, and then she has to, she has to you know, get the grain and, and, uh, and produce the grain, crush the, crush the wheat and make the grain and so on, put it on her back, and then take it home to her mother-in-law. So she was no slacker. She worked really hard from morning until evening. And it says that she kept working like that all through the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. So like three or four months, she's working really, really hard. But I want you to notice Boaz's kindness and his exceeding of the law. Okay, the law is you, if somebody comes to glean, then you have to let them glean in your field. But Boaz goes way beyond the law of gleaning. As he speaks to Ruth, he says, don't go glean in other fields, stay in this field. Stay with my servant girls, he says. And he told the men not to touch her, because it could be dangerous for a young girl, a young Moabite girl, it could be very dangerous that the men would... uh, well, you know, I don't think I need to tell you what, what could happen. He tells her to drink whenever she's thirsty. He invites her to lunch with the rest of the women. He asks the reapers to leave some of the grain for Ruth. We're going beyond just the 13 verses with it. He tells the reapers not to rebuke her if she goes beyond what is required of them for a gleaner. And even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Now, so what I want you to see is that Boaz, by law, is required to do certain things. But he takes it way beyond that, and that's what kindness is. Kindness is taking, you know, what is required of us and then going way beyond that, to doing beyond what we are legally or morally, you know, um, not morally, but, but legally required to do. Kindness is going beyond that which is expected. So then we get to verses 10 through 13. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. Wow. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your, in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Wow. So... Normally, a foreign woman would draw water for the Israelites. Boaz says, 
you go and drink the water that others have drawn for you. And Ruth is grateful because she knows that what Boaz is doing is out of kindness. This is beyond what the law says. And she was showing humility, but she also maintained her proper social distance from Boaz. She had, and this is really important, she had inferior status and she knew it. She came in as a beggar. She came in at the bottom rung. She had no social standing. She was a poor widowed foreigner and doesn't get much lower than that, who had no right to anything except what was graciously given to her. So Boaz says, calls her my daughter. Isn't that beautiful? He says, my daughter. And so right away he's taking her into his life and and he's calling her his daughter. There, obviously, there's a disparity in, of ages there. And Boaz addressed Ruth with the tenderness and proper distance of a father speaking to his young daughter. And he says, don't even think about going anywhere else. You stay right here where you're going to be protected. So I want you to see two things here. First of all, When Boaz spoke to her, she was given status in Boaz's household. So Boaz, who had great status, great wealth, was was transferring, coming in and protecting her and giving her and elevating her status in Israelite society. Here she was, a poor Moabite woman, and Boaz is saying, take a step up the run. She was achieving some sort of acceptance into Boaz's clan, perhaps even into his family. She was not family, but Boaz had treated her as though she were family. She was given status in the community. One time in uh, Diabrakur, and uh, Caroline was doing a seminar this is in Diyarbakir, southeastern part of Turkey. Actually, not too far from, from where this takes place. And, and she had, in, uh, um, in that seminar, she had a lady, and as the seminar went along, when, when the seminar first started, this woman was all covered. Remember, what was her name? Yeah, you'll think of it by the time we get that. I couldn't think of her name either. But anyway, she was all covered. Uh, so she's, you know, very conservative, very village-looking, and, and very much sat in the back and was not partaking much in the whole seminar. Well, the last day of the seminar, uh, Caroline asked if anybody wanted to come up and say something, and this lady, still can't remember, <laughs> this lady came up and she said, for the first time in my life, I've realized that God sees me. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. For the first time in my life, I've realized that God sees me. I, God notices me. I have status. I'm somebody. Wow. And she took her head scarf off. And she, yeah, she head star, scarf off and, she, and, and for the first time in her life, she realized that she was somebody. Wow. That's what Boaz was doing. Not only was he giving her status and lifting up her, 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 her position, but he was bringing his, she came under his protection. He was extending the protection of the clan or family head over Ruth. She would be protected from an improper, unsuitable marriage. She would be protected from poverty. She would be protected from all kinds of things. Boaz, the wealthy clan leader, was signaling that Ruth was now safe. Wow. Isn't that, I mean, I, from what I understand, okay, I'm, I'm a guy, and I have to, you know, I'm a different culture, sorry. <laughs> but from what I understand, this is really, really important for women, to be safe. And she was coming under 
this Bethab, this, this clan, this leader of the clan, who says, come on, I'm going to protect you now. You're safe. You've come to a place of safety. Wow. Goo patty, hmm? yeah, okay. Goo patty, yeah. And he says, and Boaz prays for her, and he says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. And then he says, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And he's this, this image of a young duckling or a young bird under the wings of, a, of the mother. And they have come for protection. And he said, you've come under my protection now. I'm going to take care of you. And Boaz doesn't even realize at the time that he is going to be the answer to his prayer. Yeah. He's saying, you come under the wings of protection. And by the way, I'm going to be the one that's going to give you that kind of protection. She'd come home. She'd come to a place of security and safety. When we first um, went over to Turkey, and we, um, we took a team over, and this was um, in um, 1999. We took a team over, and we, we went to a, a place. We, we, in 1998, we'd taken a team in, and we had narrowed it down to two places that one of them was Marmaris region down way down the Mediterranean coast. The other was up in Bergama, which was up in the northern Aegean. And we and so we took a team in to to kind of nail that down to where we felt God was was taking us. Well, I had met, uh, as it turns out, uh, one of the the leader of the ITN that we talked about earlier, the leader of that organization, one who had started it. Um, had a, somebody that he had met, he had adopted a region south of, of Izmir, uh, near where Ephesus is today, I mean, where it was then. And, and he had run into a guy named Ur. And Ur was a carpet seller in Turkey. And he said, when you get to um, up into Bergama, up into that area, um, see if you can somehow connect with this guy, Ur. So we had this team. We, we, we arrived in Bergamo. We checked into the hotel. We headed downtown. We're walking along the road in the town, this little town of Dikali. And there's a guy standing in a doorway. And he says, hi, are you Frank Martin? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, here we were halfway around the world, and this guy knows my name. Now, I felt the same kind of way that I think Ruth felt and, and Gulperi felt. Uh, you come under the protection of somebody in that culture. You're a foreigner. You have no status. You have nothing. And all of a sudden, you come underneath the protection and the care of somebody in that culture. And it was the same kind of feeling that we had, just a real sense of relief. Wow, somebody knows my name. Somebody knows me. Somebody, somebody's going to help us. And so he, that very same day, took the whole team out to dinner and paid for it. And during the course of that dinner, he told Caroline and I, uh, in Turkish, he told us his testimony. He had just come to Christ about two, two months earlier and given his heart to Christ. Now, I, in all fairness, this whole thing blew up in our face later on. So <laughs> this isn't the end of the story. But, but at this point, here we had found what we call the person of peace. We had found somebody who is our entree into this culture. And I think that that's what Ruth was feeling. Here is the person who is going to give me entree in status and protection in this culture. Because as a foreigner, you have no status. And particularly as foreigners, you know, who don't know the language. 
So Ruth finds protection and acceptance in Boaz's household. And she says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant. Now, it's an interesting phrase. In, uh, you know, in, in the English it says, you've given me comfort. And that doesn't quite have the power that it does in the Hebrew. Um, and the Turkish is very close to the Hebrew. And in the, in the Turkish it's Yuremi Okshadun. And what it means is, you have caressed my heart. <laughs> you know, isn't that descriptive? You've, you've caressed or, or, or fondled my heart. And the Hebrew is the same kind of thing. Um, that, that it expresses sweet, caressing words. She says, you have fondled my heart with what you've said. Because now I have acceptance. Now I have a place. Now I have somebody who's watching out for me. And so she thanked Boaz for his kindness to someone inferior to the lowest class in Israel. So what do we learn from this test, text, this story? First thing is this. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz all had integrity and character. What's called in the Hebrew hesed. They had hesed. They were, they, they were people of righteousness. And this story really is about Ruth, who has Hesed, and Boaz, who has Hesed, coming together. God bringing together two people of character and integrity. You know, some people have said, well, this is a love story. This isn't a love story. This is a story about character. God bringing together people who have dedicated their lives to him, who have character, who have lived out righteousness in their lives, God brings them together. That's what this story is all about. Character meets character. God rewards godly character. Part of Hesed is a concern for the poor. But it went way beyond that. It went to Boaz's kindness and Ruth's industriousness and all the things. The point is this. God rewards character. And God asks us to seek after character and integrity in our life. Make our goal to, to pursue after righteous living. The second lesson is that under the wings of the Lord there is security. Ruth says, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Boaz says, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. All of us want safety in our lives. We want to be secure. We want to have a place where we belong. We want to have a place, somebody who knows our name. The only way we're going to find that is under the wings of the God of Israel. Under his wings. Philippians 3, verse 7. What, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So God wants us to, that we regard everything else that is good things about us and bad things about us, that is all, as he says, dung. It's all garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ as Lord, of following after him. Because in Christ there is security. In Christ is everything that we are looking for is found in one place. It's found in that relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can do, you know, all kinds of things and pursue after all kinds of things. But we're only going to find security and peace and joy and the fruit of the Spirit in one place. And that's with that relationship with Jesus Christ. So the Lord is with us, even in very difficult times. 
He will supply what we need. He'll bring good out of our circumstances. You know, Ruth didn't see at this point all that God was going to do. Um, you know, and we're just getting little hints of it as, it's, as it turned out, as it turned out, as it turned out. It's the same kind of thing in your life. You don't see sometimes the lines between the dots. You only see a dot here and a dot here and a dot over here and a dot down here. But God is at work in you and for you. God is for you, not against you. And God is going to connect those dots. If we faithfully follow after him, those dots will be connected and we'll see incredible things that God does in our lives and through our lives in affecting the lives of others. So I'm encouraging you, the Lord be with you. <laughs> the Lord be with you. Seek after him. He's everything. Amen. thank you for this time together. We thank you for the story of Ruth and how she was humbled and how then she was recognized by Boaz and that she, be, by just being and doing the things that were really expected that she, and following the law, that she ended up being recognized and knew that you were watching out for her, Lord. Let us take a lesson that you're watching out for each one of us, Lord. Let us lift up, let us open up our hearts and make sure 
that, that we let you in, Lord, because it could only be through foolishness on our parts that we, that we block that. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.